All right, Joshua chapter 3. This is the word of the Lord. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that you may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down and uh, down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city uh, that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, this word, and as we begin um, with our first worship of 2023, uh, we do pray, God, that you would speak to us, uh, that this would be a year uh, where you speak powerfully, and most importantly, this would be a year where we are um, listening and attentive and hearing uh, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Happy New Year 2023. During the new year, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I do become much more aware of time, especially after uh, every year passes. And more specifically, I become much more aware that time is passing, uh, which makes time even more precious. And there are different moments throughout the year where we might feel this. Maybe birthdays, you start to feel this. Maybe graduations, you start to feel this. Funerals, you start to feel this. Uh, but when we're living in like the day-to-day -day, uh, life and we're busy and we're kind of just focused on what we have to do for the day, uh, we're not necessarily aware of how much time is passing by. But then we have the, these certain moments uh, throughout the course of the year where it hits us and we realize time really is moving. During this season, you start to see a lot of articles come out 
in your news feeds and it tries to recap some of the things that happened in 2022. Uh, if you use that Apple News app, at least for me, they, they actually created this new tab and it says goodbye 2022 and you click on that tab and they have all these sections about what were the top headlines of the year, what were the top photos of the year. They have a section of the people we lost in this past year. This past week we lost a lot of, uh, uh, you know, famous people, uh, the Pope, the former Pope who, um, Joseph Ratzinger, um, and his Pope name is Benedict. And um, we lost uh, Pele, the soccer player. We lost um, Barbara Walters. So right, even this past week, we lost a lot of people. So they got to update that section. And it, it's a way to remind us, remind us of like, wow, so much can happen in a single year, and yet it's so easy to lose track that time is passing by. Our relationship to time, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but it's very interesting because it, it can actually have a positive impact and it can have a very negative impact because on the one time, they say time has a way of healing all wounds. So whether it's a broken bone, whether it's a broken heart, we need time to pass in order to heal that broken bone or that broken heart. And uh, maybe at the very least, at least lessen the sting a little bit. On the other hand, Time has a way of bringing out the worst in us, right? Think about, if you're a parent especially, think about your typical morning. You know, for me, I wake up and I feel, I feel fine, right? I feel calm. I wake up, I don't wake up expecting to yell at the kids. I go to the bathroom, brush my teeth, like do the morning routine, I make my coffee, make, make some breakfast, things are still fine, right? And then you find out one of your kids can't find their homework, didn't do their homework, can't find the sweater, decides to have a meltdown because the snack that they want isn't available, right? Then uh, this person that woke up fine starts to get a little bit angry and starts to yell a little bit, right? You're looking at the clock and you're starting to feel the pressure of time. It's like, uh-oh, you know, we got to leave at a certain time. So, I mean, in, in our family in particular, so we don't hit like Lincoln Tunnel traffic, taking them to school when we get them to school on time. Actually, this is all Jen. This used to be me, but I don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so let me speak for Jen. And then, you know, she's got to drop off the kids and, and get to work on time. And, uh, you know, it, it's very stressful. And I, I'm like 99% sure most of you can relate to this, right, uh, in terms of your mornings. And uh, even if you don't have kids, you've, you've been in those situations where time, the pressure has, of time has impacted you. Uh, you've been going to a train and the train is delayed and you don't know why and then there's more and more people crowding and you got to get to work and you're looking at your watch and maybe you have an important meeting coming up and the train's not coming and you, you check your phone and you check Twitter, what's going on with the train, right? And you just kind of get mad. Time has a way of impacting us, especially the constraints of time. Time also has a way of impacting us as we get older. You think about time, time is the most precious commodity that we have. And I think that's one of the reasons why we value technology because one of the uh, promises of technology is that it will save us time or make us more efficient with the things that we do and maybe create more time for us. Time is a commodity. You know who the wealthiest uh, people of all are? It's uh, the little babies, right? <laughs> they have the most time. Uh, and the older we get, uh, the less time we have, and the poorer we feel, and we feel that, that pressure of time hitting us. Uh, that's probably why my kids don't have a, as great of a sense of urgency as me, and you know, this is not great on my part, but whenever like, 
you know, I'm picking them up from school or we're walking somewhere. I, I'm always actually walking in front of them, going like this, come on, come on, come on. And uh, my kids, especially the youngest one, she's like, doo-doo, flower, ooh. <laughs> I'm like, hurry up, we gotta beat the traffic. Uh, time. You get older, you start to feel the pressures of losing time. Uh, if you're not married, if you don't have children, the pressure of time can do all kinds of things to your soul, right? Midlife crisis is ultimately a time crisis, right? You imagined your life would be a certain way, and as you feel like yourself getting older and you feel yourself losing time, it thrusts you into this kind of existential crisis of like, uh, what is my life, right? Time does that to us. It has a very big impact. If that's the case, I thought it would be pretty beneficial to reflect on the spiritual impact that time can have through the lens of waiting, okay? As we start this new year, um, because if, any, if there's anything in this group in particular um, that we might feel, I think we feel a lack of time, right? We have too much to do, we have too little time. We have a destination that we want to reach, whether it's a certain level in our careers, whether it's a certain level in terms of like financial security, whether it's a certain level of like uh, the development of our families, of our children, uh, whatever we perceive to be our destination, we all need time in order to get there. And so if there's anything that poses a danger to our own spiritual vitality, I do think it's this false sense of impoverishment with respect to time. I just don't have time, right? I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to be in the Word. I don't have time to focus. People have to wait. Uh, the Christian faith is all about promise and fulfillment. Amen, Timo? <laughs> about promise. Promise presupposes a period of time where you have to wait, right? Because then you have to wait for that promise to be fulfilled. In one sense, if you think about what the Bible is about, the Bible is all about waiting because it's all about promise and it's all about fulfillment. And the entire Bible, people are just waiting for God to fulfill that promise. So you read the Old Testament, one of the things you realize pretty quickly is that people are waiting a lot. Noah, he waited. He waited for the floodwaters, to, for the rain to stop and the floodwaters to reside, to see this, like, uh, this new creation. Abraham, of course, waited for offspring. Moses waited. David
these days, like, like it's all about the journey, man, right? disappointed when we reach that destination it could be that we had our sights set on a destination that actually wasn't good enough for the people of Israel they were journeying towards a destination that was meant to be the great fulfillment of everything that God had promised to them no more living in the wilderness no more walking right no more temporary home uh, if you're tired of like transients and you just kind of and just wandering in the wilderness. That was the people of Israel. They're about to reach what they perceive is going to be their home where they're going to find roots. Now, I have always uh, been drawn to the early chapters of the book of Joshua because I find them to be filled with like so much drama. It's just, as a story, it's a great story. And you think about it, right? These people have been wandering for many, many years. They're about to embark on the final leg of their journey. They're about to reach their destination. It's kind of like watching a movie, anticipating this fairy tale ending. It's like, oh, how's this going to end? And then all of a sudden, they hit some roadblocks, and there's some hardship that they have to face, and there's some obstacles that they have to overcome. And so the people of Israel, they don't just kind of like coast into the land pretty easily, but they have to face some challenges. And in chapters 3 and 4, it narrates one of those challenges. Chapter 3, because chapter 4 is basically saying what happened, but this is a very dramatic event that, surprisingly, I don't think gets too much attention, but I think it should. Uh, one of the commentaries I read said this is the most important single event in the book and it's telling occupies the next two chapters the jordan is the first and most important boundary of the land israel is about to occupy and its crossing carries all the symbolic weight of the passage from no land to land from not possessing to possessing so this is a, a kind of like a turning point for the people of israel joshua leads the people they get to this the edge of this huge river the river jordan and now they're stopped. They're impeded from moving for further towards their destination because of this large body of water. And what happens? Well, eventually, God would make a way for them in a way that should have been familiar. Just as God like, parted the Red Sea and made a way for them through the, the Red Sea as in, in the book of Exodus, God makes a way for them through the River Jordan. The priests, they carry the Ark of the Covenant and they dip their feet in the water and after that, the flow of water stops and the people, they're able to cross on dry land through this river. And it's a miraculous event that Israel would remember and reference throughout their history. Uh, it's funny that God repeats it, um, again, because people are forgetful, right? <clears throat> you know, I, I actually preached from this passage um, way in 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, one of the reasons that um, uh, I guess maybe want to preach this passage during that time is I read this article from an old classmate in seminary, and right now he's a, he's a counselor. His name is Alistair Groves. And uh, he wrote this article about right, Joshua 3 and the coronavirus. And uh, I, read, I reread it again, and it's still a good article because it, it deals with a lot of things about anxiety in particular waiting and this is what he says he says what's it like to sit in your tent watching a river at flood stage turning by what's it like to watch your children playing outside knowing that they're going to have to somehow cross this engorged river dark with flood stirred sediment what's it like to look at your sheep donkeys 
precious heirlooms you carried all the way from Egypt that represent your life savings and wonder if you might lose it all? How does it feel to know that God is calling you to keep moving forward, that he is promising to be with you, and that all you can actually see is a river whose depth you do not know, but of whose fatal power you can be sure? And of course, he's making the same parallels to like, we don't know what's ahead with this pandemic, uh, and it's sparking all this anxiety in our heart. And the application he makes is like, look at what God did for the people in this passage. He makes them wait for three days. And that's a small detail that I, I never noticed before I read his article. He makes the people wait at the edge of the river for three days before making a way to go through it. And the question to ask is this, why did God have the people wait for three days? Why? Certainly, he could have stopped the waters as soon as they arrived. Certainly, God could have expedited things without making his people wait three days. Isn't expediency always preferable to us? Isn't waiting just kind of a waste of time, right? That's the kind of thing we value in our modern culture. And so why did God have the people wait? What is it about this period of waiting that is so important for God and for the people of God? I think the answer is this. It's pretty simple. In periods of waiting, that's when God invites us to trust him. That's when our faith grows. That's one of the ways he grows our faith. Now, one of the things when we think about waiting, it's not an entirely passive activity. It's not completely inactive. While waiting can feel passive, it's not about passivity. Sometimes we can think of waiting uh, as though like it's uh, when, all, when all meaningful activity has stopped, has ceased. Maybe to use a sports analogy, you know, if a, if a player is sitting on the bench, right, waiting to get into the game, waiting to make a meaningful contribution in the game, the player can feel like, hey, I'm wasting my time sitting on the bench. But the coach might be thinking, this is your time to grow. This is your time to learn. This is your time to develop. And similarly, I think periods, seasons of waiting can do that for us. It reorients our faith to focus on God and in particular, our trust in God. If you look at Joshua 3, you can see that God wants them to refocus before they get ready to enter into the promised land. And in particular, uh, there's two points of emphasis that we see here. First, God wants them to focus on his presence. If you read the passage, there's an obvious point of emphasis here, uh, something you see said over and over, which is the Ark of the Covenant. What is the Ark of the Covenant? Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, it's this rectangular box. It's made of wood. It's covered in gold. And uh, what it housed, the two tablets of the Decalogue, or what we call the Ten Commandments. And more importantly, the Ark was a symbol of God's presence with his people. In this passage, the focus turns to the Ark of the Covenant. So in verse 3, the Ark was something that the people were supposed to follow when it was carried by the priests. Then, right before they're to cross the waters of the Jordan, the Ark of the Covenant is featured again in verse 11. It says this, Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. And what happens after that is quite remarkable. The priests are carrying the Ark. They dip their bare feet into the water. When they do, the waters rise up and the people are able to pass through. And I think while the miracle itself is pretty extraordinary, the narrator's focus in Joshua is actually on the ark, which symbolizes God's presence with his people. Because the point of the story is God is the one who is going to get them 
to their destination. God is the one who does it. When we have a destination to reach, inevitably, we take active steps to get there. And I don't think that goes against what God desires of us because, again, waiting is not necessarily about being passive. But when we are so focused on our own activity, we easily can forget the role that God plays in leading us where we need to go. Periods of waiting allow us to remember that God is the one who ultimately leads us to our destination. And thinking about the church, um, <clears throat> oh, you want to hear a little sidebar that has nothing to do with the sermon? I, I upgraded my Bible software, and I'm like preaching from it for the first time. Uh, it is kind of like a nerdy thing, but they incorporated like a preaching feature, so it's not just like research feature. So I like wrote my sermon on my Bible software for the first time, and uh, one of the features is like you can search for uh, quotes that people underlined in all the, the books that you have in your whole library. So it's like uh, I'm building a database now of my sermons, and I go to the quote feature, and I type in waiting, and boom, right, it pulls up a quote. So I got this quote from this, my Bible software. A.W. <laughs> Tozer says this. He says, sometimes I think the church would be better off if we would call a moratorium on activity for about six weeks and just waited, uh, and just waited on God to see what he is waiting to do for us. And, you know, I, I, I maybe, I wouldn't say it go that far, but I do appreciate the sentiment behind it because even when it comes to the work of ministry, right, the work of the church, we can easily focus on all the, the things that we have to do and all the activities that are going on, and we can easily forget that at the end of the day, we wait on God to move, and uh, the idea is God moves and we go where God moves, right? It's not that we go and then God follows us. God moves first, we wait on God to move, and then we follow God where he is moving. Uh, I just read a book by uh, this woman named Trisha Lott Williford, and she talks about both the pain and the spiritual value of waiting. And her story is actually quite sad, quite tragic, but uh, in her life, in her story, when her kids were about five years old and three years old, her husband died very suddenly two days before Christmas. Her husband had a septic infection in his bloodstream, and uh, doctors assumed it was uh, the flu, because I don't know if he had the flu at the same time or if the symptoms were similar, but anyway. So uh, he went home from the hospital, and then like pretty soon after that, uh, he ended up dying very shockingly and very surprising to the family. And so she, s she says, you know, while other families during that time are wrapping gifts on Christmas Eve, what she was doing is she's making funeral arrangements. And she said she entered into this dark, dark, dark fog of sadness for the next two years, and she just couldn't get out of it. And she describes that those years as a period of waiting, and she's just waiting for this dark fog to lift, for the sun to shine, for winter to give way to spring. Uh, but uh, she just couldn't shake it. And it was in that season where she really resounded with what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where he says, For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And she says in those two, two years of waiting, uh, one of the things that she really learned was what it meant to rely on God because she couldn't function. <laughs> she literally couldn't function. And she had two young kids to raise on her own. But in those two years, like for every day, like she would, she would just kind of reduce everything to one step. She said, if I can just 
make this next meal, it's a victory. If I can just wake up in this next morning, it's a victory. And she lived two years like that. And in every single thing she did, she had to rely on God to give her strength to kind of carry on. Now, not all seasons of waiting have to be as painful as this author, but I think all seasons of waiting ought to orient us towards the same conclusion. Usually, we wait because we don't have control. Uh, we wouldn't choose to wait, and if we can change things so that we don't have to wait, we would, right? We wait in the waiting room at the doctor's office because we have no control when the doctor's going to come and see us. We wait in traffic because we have no control over the traffic. Uh, waiting presupposes that we don't have control. And while that can be frustrating, it's an important spiritual lesson for us. We don't have control, and seasons of waiting remind us that all we can do sometimes is just rely on God. And that's what God is trying to show these people, uh, the people in is of Israel, as they are on the brink of entering into this promised land. Second thing, God wants them to focus on their holiness. In verse 5, Joshua says to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Consecrate yourselves. Now, what does it mean? What does he want them to do to consecrate themselves? Well, consecration is the language of holiness. And uh, what's the expectation there? Uh, one thing it means is uh, they were to be obedient to God and to his word. Now, let me just say a quick thing about obedience. Uh, I think when it comes to obedience, uh, with God, not with necessarily other people, maybe your parents, but with God, obedience comes before understanding, okay? At our home, we have uh, like this little footrest because, um, you know, we had like a, it was a, when Jen was, uh, or when our kids were infants, like this was like the chair that she would like feed on. And then so we had like this little footrest that she would use as a stool. And now that our kids are older, uh, we don't really need it or use it anymore. So it's just kind of like lying around in my office. <coughs> but the thing about this footrest is it's not a stool. So it's not very sturdy and the bottom is like very slippery. So if you like stand on it and if you use it as a stool, you can like easily slip and fall. And so um, as I was preparing the sermon in my office, and if you want a visual of how I uh, prepare my sermons, I'm in my office and my kids are like, running in and out, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then uh, I'm like, get out, get out. <laughs> so uh, one of my kids, right, goes up on this footstool and is like trying, I don't know why, but has like the stick and is just trying to touch the ceiling, right, standing on this footstool. And I'm like, I'm like, get off the footstool, get off the footstool. And then she's like, why, why, <laughs> right? And I'm like, you don't have to know why, just listen, right, get off the footstool. <laughs> And uh, I don't know, maybe you've been, like, sometimes you can't explain all the, the reasons why, right, to get off of something or to obey, right? Sometimes it's just good for you, and you just have to obey first before you understand for your own good. And uh, I, think, I think that's how we should approach things with our relationship with God, right? I guess it depends on the authority structure, because sometimes you should question authority. But with respect to God, right, obedience comes before understanding. It's not always going to make sense to us. And I think in this situation, too, God asked the people to do a lot of things that don't really make sense. It's, it's hard to understand why God would ask them to do that. Right? Think about what the priest did, right? Just carry the ark and, like, you know, you got to dip your feet in, in water. And, like, what do you expect is going to happen? And all of a sudden, this thing happens. You know, in chapter 5, before the men of Israel are about to, you know, enter into battle, 
uh, God tells Joshua, he says, make sure all the men are circumcised because as they were uh, wandering, not all the men were circumcised and circumcision was an important sign of the covenant. Circumcision is uh, painful, especially for an adult. I, I've already explained what circumcision is, so I don't have to go through that again. Uh, circumcision is very painful, especially for an adult, and it doesn't make sense to get circumcised before battle because you need time to heal, right? You don't want to kind of self-injure yourself before you're about to go into battle, especially uh, in those days where it says it was done with a flint knife. Right? You don't even have a surgical tool. Now, why does God tell the men to get circumcised before they're about to enter into battle? doesn't make sense. Well, because circumcision is a sign of the covenant. Circumcision is what set the people of Israel apart from other nations. Their obedience meant they trusted in God to fulfill his promise and not in, in the strength of their army, right? They trusted that God was going to be the one to fulfill their promise and give them the land that he had promised them. It meant that they knew God was the one who's uh, not only going to lead them, but God was going to be victorious on their behalf. And their obedience is intertwined with their faith, with their trust in God. And it was in a period of waiting where their faith was reoriented towards God so that they could build this deep reliance on God. So let's ask a hypothetical question. What would have happened if the people were not required to wait for three days? What if God parted the waters without making them wait at the brink of the waters? What if they didn't have the opportunity to really ponder the dangers that lie ahead? What if they weren't given the opportunity to feel the fear and uncertainty of their immediate future as it was impeded by this large body of water? Who knows, but perhaps I would suggest maybe their faith would not have had the opportunity to grow deeper in their trust for God and be oriented towards God in the way that it ultimately needed to be. Given our orientation around time, seasons of waiting can seem like the most dreadful thing. Seasons of waiting can seem uh, not just a waste of time, but a very painful thing, especially because the modern world is very accelerated with respect to time. But seasons of waiting can actually be a great gift to our faith. And sometimes we need seasons of waiting to make sure our faith is oriented towards God and not towards our own activity. When you think about the gospel, Jesus didn't come right after Adam ate the fruit. Thousands of years had to pass by before God brought to completion his plan of salvation for us. In one sense, the big wait is over because we live on this side of the cross. But in another sense, we are still a people in waiting, right? We still wait for Jesus to return. We still wait for the final resurrection. Another year brings us closer to his return, but in the meantime, we're in a perpetual season of waiting. So in this season, let's not forget God's leading. Let's not forget God's power. Let's not forget God's the one who gives us victory. And how do we wait? I think we wait by doing things that might be perceived waste of time for us, uh, things are that are not necessarily um, productive in terms of our activity, but is actually super productive with respect to our faith. Uh, let's live obediently. Let's live prayerfully. 
as though we were like the Israelites on the brink of entering into the promised land. Because as we start this new year, the most important thing is not how much closer we are to our perceived destination, whatever our uh, goals in life are. What's actually most important is that God develops our faith and our trust in him. That's a living illustration because we're going to wait for him to come back and uh, he's teaching. I'm just, I'm just kidding, Timo. Carry on. <laughs> cool. All right, let's pray. <laughs> uh, you know, before, <clears throat> maybe before we move on, Uh, Let's just take a moment to pray on our own. Uh, If you are somebody who uh, who keenly feels um, the impact of time in your life and you always feel rushed, you always feel like there's so much to do in so little time, uh, whether in daily microwaves or whether it's your stage of life and there are certain things you want it out of life and you feel like time is running short and what you wanted, uh, the opportunity to get what you want um, is fading. Whatever it is, you are um, in a season of waiting and that's something we can't control. But let's not focus on our activity. Let's not focus on what we do. Let's not focus on what we need to do. But ultimately, there's a greater destination that Jesus Christ himself is going to bring us to in this final resurrection, life eternal with him. And in view of that destination, what's more important in this moment, in this year, is to trust God more. And so whatever season we are in, whether we are in a season of uh, waiting for something else uh, let's prayerfully ask God to lead us let's ask God to move first just as he did in the ark and let's ask God to give us eyes to see and a heart to follow where he moves and uh, after a few uh, minutes I'll pray for us
God, the very first words that you speak to us in the book of Genesis is about time. What we read is in the beginning. You created time. We live uh, within the construct of time. We're bounded by time. Uh, it's, it's the one thing that we can't uh, really uh, add more to our lives. And so we ask that you would teach us to number our days, but not number our days with respect to uh, our own personal goals and achievements uh, in this life, but to number our days with respect to the ultimate destination that you promised to bring us to. God, we all have a beginning and we all have an end. But because of Christ, our end is not truly our end. But there is an eternity. I pray, God, that you would reorient our, uh, our view of our lives and our sense of time around that truth as well. That one of the gifts that you give us is going to be the promise of unlimited time. But in the meantime, when we, as we wait for the fulfillment of that great promise, as sometimes we find ourselves on the brink of the Jordan River, looking ahead towards uncertainty, not knowing what our lives on this earth are going to yield, what it's going to look like, what we're going to have, whether we'll be safe, whether we'll get what we want. Give us... Uh, moments where we can slow down and wait and reorient our hearts around you to seek to follow you where you go to live in obedience to trust in you uh, because it's, it's only then this great gift of faith that you give us will we have a, a deeper sense of your presence, a deeper sense of the goodness of your presence. We pray for more of that in 2023. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.